Good morning. Our call to worship is from Psalm 116. Will you stand with us and we'll sing together. he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy because he inclined his ear to me therefore I call on him as long as I live gracious is the Lord and righteous our God is merciful the Lord preserves the simple when I was brought low he saved me For the Lord in the land of the living. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord.
join me in prayer. Gracious Father, you have gathered us this morning in your love and in your mercy. And Lord, as we come this morning, um, make us aware of your presence. Fill us with yourself. God, remind us this morning that we are your sons and daughters, heirs of your promises. Remind us, Lord, that we are in Christ, that we share in your life and glory and that we share in your sufferings. Lord, you are the only one who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, made yourself nothing. So Father, lead us in the way of Christ in meekness and humility. Give us self-awareness and understanding that we may uh, see ourselves rightly as sinners, broken, as, as people in need of your redemption and grace. And Father, meet us by your spirit in the places we are in this morning. Meet those of us who are full, feeling thankful and hopeful, taking in your generosity and, and giving it to others. And Lord, meet those of us in the mundane of another normal week, and those of us coming, holding many things at the same time, wondering when our, lie, when our rest will come. Meet us in these places, we pray, with your presence, with your grace, full of rest and life. Do this in the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, children are now dismissed for children's worship. Lee is in the back to, to greet them, to welcome them. Well, we, uh, we turn now to our time of confession, a time where we do acknowledge with God our sin and our need of him, and we'll do this together as a church, and then have a time of quiet, personal confession. The psalmist writes, Almighty God, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise, and you discern my thoughts from afar. You are acquainted with all my ways, and there is nothing about me that you do not know. Heavenly Father, where can I go from your spirit or flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and shield, you are there. Even the darkness is not dark to you. Search me, O God, and know my thoughts. Give me courage to bring all my sin, fear, and doubt to you. Amen.
personal quiet confession. Father, we confess our sin. We know our guilt, our shame, even our regret. And Father, your grace is often disarming for us. It meets us not in those really cleaned up places, those really put together places, but right here when our sins are before us. So God, may your grace that is eager to welcome us home, that is eager to forgive, may it lead us into repentance and into life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's stand together to hear the words of assurance that come to us from Psalm 103. Let's join together. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As we've been welcomed into God's family, let us also welcome each other in the name of Christ. So we say 
The Old Testament lesson comes from Ezekiel 37, 1 through 10. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered him, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone and I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. The New Testament lesson is from 1 Thessalonians 3, 1 through 10. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it had come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn more about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us, as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live 
if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lucy. Good morning. It's good to be with you. I'm excited to uh, open God's Word with you this morning. And I want to begin with a question. I don't know that it's necessarily an easy uh, or simple question to try and answer, but it's one I've been thinking about a lot lately. And this is the question <clears throat> that I've been wondering about. What is it that makes us receptive to Jesus' words? I mean, what is, it what, what is it that makes some people soften to receive his words? I mean, what is it that's needed um, for, for us to soften to Jesus' words, to like really put down our defenses and really take in what he has to say? You know, again and again in Scripture, what we see, what we find are people in dialogue with Jesus, and some receive what he has to say. And others just don't. And I want to know why that is. I'm really curious about that. I think there's probably a lot of a lot of good reasons, but I'm sure of at least one thing. The people that listen to Jesus have to be the ones that feel like they've been heard. We see it over and over again. When someone's crying out for healing or someone's being accused by others or someone's bearing up under the burden of a big question, everyone around can hear what's happening. But Jesus is the one that's really listening. We listen when Jesus speaks because of the astounding way that he listens to our questions. The questions and the fears and the hopes and the doubts that he meets in us. So much of the New Testament is hearing back from the God who listens. Now often, <laughs> you know, Jesus responds in interesting ways, right? With parables or with allusions to the Old Testament, or often just with more questions. But he's responding, right? And today I want to invite us to approach Jesus' words, trusting that we are hearing from the God who listens. That's what I want to try and do today. In this sermon series, we've been examining New Testament words of life. And so far, we've looked at gospel as a term and forgiveness as a term. And today we're going to consider from the gospel of John the word life. It's a big one, right? <laughs> now, you may not think it's a, such a significant term, but as you'll hear, the testimony of John is just so, so different from Matthew and Mark and Luke. And you might be asking, well, how is it different? How is John so different, right? Well, first off, it has a very different tone. John is just more literary, right? You know, whereas the others um, seem descriptive and almost journalistic at times. When you read it, John's gospel is more imaginative and expressive, even a bit conceptual or symbolic, right? For instance, John is working with a just a very different vocabulary at times. He really wants to talk about eternal life. Right? We can all think of, uh, maybe, maybe we can think of John 3.16, right? Maybe that comes to mind immediately. That's his concern. That's his big theme. Whereas, like, when we read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see them talking about the, the kingdom of God over and over again. So along with this emphasis uh, on the eternal life, 
John uses a specific set of literary devices to make his account stand out from the others, right? I mean, it's not a competition, obviously, right? But <laughs> it's just different, right? And most commonly, when we read John's gospel, what we see him doing are taking these images and these metaphors from everyday life and kind of charging them with a new symbolic meaning, right? He takes something so simple, like a, sh like a, a father and his who's a carpenter, and he has a son who does the same trade, or a shepherd and his flock of sheep, right? Something so ordinary and charges it with some deeper truth about who Jesus is. But these are not just random, like, literary flourishes, John just being interesting. He also structures his book differently than the other writers. He sets it up in such a way that we would see Jesus' mighty acts, his miracles, kind of working together to total the perfect number. We see the seven signs that Jesus works together, signaling his divine power. It's subtle. That's why we got to read between the lines and kind of spend time with it. And even if we're tempted to think this is just an ancient writer exercising creative license. What we can find often by paying close attention is these new ways in which John is reworking old ideas from the Old Testament, old themes. He's just weaving them in to his own story about Jesus. And one of the biggest ways in which he does that is by taking these I am sayings, I am. We hear Jesus saying, I am throughout the Gospel of John. And that's not just the opening of like a great Greco-Roman soliloquy, right? I am. <laughs> this is a callback, a really important callback to the book of Exodus when God reveals his divine name to Moses. I am that I am. So subtle and not so subtle, right? And wonderfully for us, all of these unique kind of literary features are present in our passage today. So let's read it together. I'm going to read from our worship bulletin. You can follow along in your Bible or just follow along in the bulletin. But let's hear God's word from John chapter 6. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you've seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is God's word given for our good. We well, can see right there for yourself, there's this rich texture to the passage, right? It checks all the boxes of what I laid out about what's interesting in John's gospel. We've got our big theme, eternal life. It's right there. And even in the short reading, John is using plenty of everyday images, right? Bread, manna, life, death, the father sending his son to work, casting out and raising up. All these things are there. And the language is so resonant, memorable. It also happens that Jesus' words here are following on from one of the book's seven signs. The first part of chapter 6 records Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. But lastly, and most importantly, this portion is the first time in the book 
where Jesus uses one of those I am sayings. I am the bread of life. So we've stumbled upon an important part of the book. But all these cool things only become important when we understand them in the specific place in the story that we find them. For instance, why is Jesus talking about bread here? And what does bread have to do with eternal life? And oh, by the way, what do we mean by eternal life? I think those are big questions. So today what I, what I want to try and do is answer just two questions about our passage. You can kind of think of them in terms of the problem and then the solution, right? The problem, what's their distraction to clarify? What are they missing about life that Jesus has to speak to? That's the problem. Two, what is his solution? What is this new thing he has to say about life? What is the new life or the true life that Jesus offers? John chapter 6, like the other Gospels, records Jesus' miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. But here, what John includes is the considerable confusion and the pushback that Jesus gets from his rivals. Both of these things follow on from the event. The confusion and the pushback that Jesus receives call for an extended clarification. Jesus has to make clear what he's actually talking talking about. And what we're doing is we're picking up in the middle of that conversation. We're kind of picking it up at the most intense point in the conversation. He is trying to teach them something of supreme importance. And they are too distracted to hear what he has to say. So if you look back in the preceding verses, what you're going to see are the people clearly in a desperate state, clearly worked up and confused and feeling desperate. Like, what do we have to do, Jesus, to hang on to this bread that you provide? Like, how do we get some more of that bread? Where are the other signs coming from? The people had enjoyed his miracle, and so they were asking for another. They needed further proof. And in the background of that is the fact that they celebrated that their fathers were fed by God with manna in the wilderness. And they were really interested in seeing that kind of thing happen again, maybe even to them, right? The people wanted their food delivery schedule reinstated, all right? (laughs) So I think it's safe to say that their basic needs are distracting them from the meaning of, the meaning, the deeper significance of what had just taken place. But Jesus points out that life is much more than temporary sustenance. Verse 49, he says to them, Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. Ouch. (laughs) They, like us, are meant to live on more than bread alone. Now, (laughs) we could say this is an understandable lapse in judgment on their part, right? We can all get distracted by thinking about our basic needs. And in times when those basic needs are threatened, it certainly feels like our everything, right? But Jesus here wants to instill desire for deeper things. Jesus recognizes that those kind of distractions can result in something much worse than just a distraction. They can result in a lack of believing, a lack of trusting. That's why he says in verse 36, but I said to you that you've seen me, you've seen it, and yet you do not believe. That's a problem. We can forget to look beyond the gift for its meaning. Like the people in this story, we can enjoy the gifts and neglect the giver. And how easy is it to persist in our distractions? We have so many of them. Aren't we too tempted to fall into those kinds of traps? 
going through the motions, just getting through another day, another week. None of us are really above it, I think. And apart from hearing, hearing in a, in a softened way and receiving Jesus' words, we can stay in those places of confusion and disorientation. Life then feels unreconciled to its potential. We're left painfully unfulfilled. It's not a good place. And while it might be hard to hear, it is actually a loving thing for Jesus to redirect us. So let's think about what he brings. Question two, what is the true life that Jesus offers? Well, Jesus says plainly in verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. But what is it that he means by living bread? I mean, plainly, he's been talking about living bread as the bread that enables those who eat it to endure to eternal life. He puts it another way in John chapter 10, verse 10, when he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, the phrase eternal life sounds like it should describe the length of life, as in like a long, everlasting life. But actually, the terminology that Jesus chooses here, specific to its day, is not really about longevity. It's a statement about power. It's not about the quantity of life, but about the quality of life. So when we hear eternal life, we should think about indestructible or immortal life. It's a reference to the power that Jesus offers. And he describes that power in verse 39 when he says, I should lose nothing of all that has been given to me. He hangs on to everything that the Father gives him. Only he has the power to do that. So if he is the gift that he gives, and he's willing to sacrifice in his own life, he says his flesh... For us, what he gives to us is the power and the quality of his very own life. By giving his life for ours, we can be connected in a new way to the very source of life. That is a big thought for me. And before we kind of, before I spin out here and get like increasingly theological, which I'm ten, I have a tendency to do, um, ask my family, I want to just take stock, okay? I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I am convinced of something. I hope what I'm about to say does parallel your experience. Okay? I hope it fits with your experience. I'm just really aware... Um, Life is so complicated. <laughs> Life is so complex. Is that your experience? <laughs> oh, it's so messy. <sighs> I mean, I'm worn out just thinking about it on a beautiful day like this even, right? I am so relieved <laughs> that that is your experience too. I thought it was just me, okay? I am so relieved about that, right? There is so much complexity. There are so many complications. But let's not be distracted from the clear call of some simple good news. Listen, listen to it again. Shall not hunger, shall never thirst. I will never cast out, raise up on the last day not die, live forever. The message of it is so simple. Alongside all the many things that Jesus would give to us, the most important that he gives, the most important gift that he gives to us is himself. Jesus is the gift. He himself is the gift. In the words of Proverbs chapter 8, whoever finds me finds life. 
That's good news. When you put that alongside the good news that we're hearing in this series about forgiveness and wonderful things like that. So what does he require of us? Simply to trust him. He wants us to believe him. Of course, this is, <laughs> this is of course, not just signing off on some really important religious fine print. Right? You can read the fine print. He shows us. He actually shows us what true believing is in the words that he uses right here in this teaching. Here, believing is the same, is this, it, it is the same thing as eating living bread, as seeing the Son for who he is, as taking him at his word. And here, belief is not passive, it's fully activated. It's a decisive turning again and again to Jesus as the source and the foundation of our lives. It's about leverage, right? He, he wants us to leverage our lives upon his promise that he will renew and reshape everything about our lives for our good and for his glory. And the question today is, can we be soft to hear and receive, to believe what he says. And I just want to wrap up with one more quick thought. At the end of our passage, Jesus says, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. I just want to reflect on that. He's speaking so directly to them to clarify their misunderstandings, to remove their distractions, but at the same time, he has a big scope for what he wants to do for the life of the world. And that reminds me, one time when I was in college, um, I visited Annunciation Greek Orthodox Church on Highland uh, Avenue in Memphis, Tennessee. And um, that was my first uh, time inside of a Greek Orthodox Church. And Guys, I got to tell you, there, there's a lot to look at. I mean, th there are some amazing pictures in that place. I think they call them icons. But it is, it is just a feast for the eyes. And I, I didn't really grow up in church, but <laughs> when I did, it was just a, a you know, pretty sparse little Baptist church. So it was a feast for the eyes, and there was a lot to see and take in. It was a wonderful experience. I mean, the liturgy was in Greek. It was, it was wonderful. And... My, my college friends and I were obviously not part of uh, that church community, so you know we were just witnessing their practice of communion. But something really wonderful happened at the end of the service. There was bread, like real bread, like loafy, thick, wonderful bread, left over from communion, and it was handed out to the visitors. And we got some of that bread. And... It was, like I said, it was a lot to take in, that experience, but I still remember the bread and how wonderful that moment was of just as a, you know, just as a visitor getting to taste the bread. And I think it's a great picture of, the, of what God gives us and the new life that he is affecting in our midst. There's so much new life in this room. And the good news is the bread is still here. The bread was here before you and I showed up. Someone made the bread that we got to eat. And someone fed those that made our bread before them. And we may not be able to trace it all the way back, but all the way back, Jesus' people have been making bread. And it looks like Jesus is in the business of still making more and more bread. So the question emerges, who needs this bread and doesn't have it? Who's going to eat at Jesus' table and dine on this bread? Who's going to eat the bread that you helped to make? Because the bread's still going to be here. So let's share our bread with our neighbors. Let's break bread with our enemies. Let's remember and even practice the other John 3.16, 1 John 
By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for one another, for the brothers and the sisters. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that we know the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. We know him who is true. So by faith, God, would you keep us in your Son? Would you keep us with him? And that give us the eternal life that is ours in him. Would you bind us to him and save us for the day of his appearing? We thank you for your bread. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Will you please stand with, with us and we'll sing together.
God, we praise you for your everlasting goodness toward your people. For what do we have that is not a gift from you? And now we join with your people on earth and all the company of heaven and the unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth. as we come to this table that, that Jesus has set before us, it's good to remember that this isn't a table that is a table of leftovers. It's not a table that's just for the 12 on, as it says, on the night that Jesus was betrayed. It's a table for those of us who hunger and thirst, who come to Jesus in faith and weakness and suffering and longing. It's come bearing our, our sins and seeing them before us and coming to the one who can rescue us, who can save us. And I say this table, it, for those of us who are coming in this way, here's what this table means, right? It's, it's his body and blood, and we take them in by faith. We are taking in the very redemption of God to make atonement, to deal fully and completely with the kingdom of darkness so that our lives are freed up to be forgiven and to forgive, to hold our doubts and faith, faith, to find the surprise and the joy when we experience his mercy and his grace. Friends, this is the life that Jesus died for us to receive, and it's the life that we are invited then to partake at this table. And so if you believe that, if you have put your faith in Jesus, then come and eat. Be nourished in the grace of our good God. Father, thank you for this table. And we pray that you would set it apart from a common use to a sacred and holy one, that you would come and by your spirit meet us and nourish us in our faith through this bread and wine. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after, afterwards, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. For as often as you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Well, I do invite you to come down the center aisle to receive both the bread and the cup. I'd ask that you hold the elements um, and return to your seats on the side to hold them so that we can eat and drink as one family. I'm going to invite the, the servers to come up now as we come forward for communion.
Christ's body was broken to make us whole on a seat in faith. Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. Well, let's stand together uh, in response to this table that God has set before us for time of prayer and song and our affirming our faith together. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for the gift of eternal life. Grant us peace and help us to trust you as we proclaim the mystery of faith. our faith together through the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we turn now to our time of, of giving, of offering our gifts and, and tithes to God. Um, if you're new with us this morning, we just want to welcome you and uh, let you know that uh, there is a time of fellowship afterwards. Uh, we'd love to get to know you more. Uh, we'll have bagels and drinks and things like that. And that'll be uh, uh, both here and then down the hallway we'll have a, a, an area for you to, uh, to mingle and to, 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 to fellowship together. If you'll notice, there is a, a pad under the seat closest to the center aisle. If you would uh, fill that out and pass it down your row, that'd be great. We would love to have a record of your visit and uh, uh, let you know about some of the resources and ways that you could be involved here in the life of the church. Well, let's continue to worship God through our, our gifts. Please stand and join us for the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, 
lie silent in a grave and in a nobler sweeter song i'll sing thy power to save i'll sing thy power to save i'll sing thy power to save and in a nobler sweeter song i'll sing thy power to save receive now god's blessing now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen. Go in peace.